Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me on the Fox Sports app and at foxsports.com. You can also follow me on X, the former Twitter, Instagram, and threads at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places, but there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA, and that is here. One of the benefits of having covered the NBA in particular and sports in general as long as I have is that you become aware of the many layers to the business of sports. Not just the layers that pertain to the games and the seasons, but how those games are presented and which players are featured, what highlights are played, what's reported, and by whom. Now, a lot of you... I know, are savvy enough to pick up on a lot of what I'm talking about, largely because where once you had to be in the business to know the the behind-the-scenes relationships that shaped a lot of what was said or done or presented, now a lot of that information is out there for public consumption, whether it's directly or indirectly. You can connect the dots if you're paying attention, and I know a lot of you are. What has been lost, though, in all of the information and content that's now being churned out on a daily basis, 24-7, about just about anything and everything, and the need by the media to react to all that information on a daily basis, which just creates an echo chamber, and maybe throw in a shorter attention span on everybody's part because we're constantly being just inundated with new information so kind of coalescing it or assessing it or taking a beat to to measure it all has kind of been lost and that's actually what I try to do with this podcast I know that 
I probably would generate more listeners if I did snap takes and did immediate reactions to events happening like the NBA trade deadline. But I feel as if what's been missing or what is missing now is a thoughtful approach to what's happened to kind of step back and see the big picture. And that's what I hope to do here in large part as a result of what did and more importantly, what didn't happen at the trade deadline, along with a recent event involving Joel Embiid. So what I want to look at are recent events and how decisions made years ago or things that happened years ago are the reason that we're seeing what we're seeing today. And so that we accurately hold accountable the players or coaches or GMs or whoever, that we're holding the proper people accountable, not just the people, the players and the coaches that we see on the screen or the floor today who are connected directly to the disappointment, but to really look at the fact that they are in some ways victims or byproducts of much earlier decisions. The players and coaches that we see today in some cases are simply left holding the proverbial bag. And there are three circumstances right now that uh, with the Warriors, the Lakers, and the 76ers that are examples of what I'm talking about. Let's get into the Warriors one first because I'm reminded of it every time I see Bob Myers, former GM, team president of the Warriors on TV, safely removed from his former team's struggles because he made the very shrewd decision not to re-sign when his contract expired this past summer. So while Steve Kerr's coaching acumen and Clay Thompson's decline are being highlighted on a nightly basis, when I think about where the Warriors are right now, I think about Bob Myers. Now, Myers is one of the most personable people I've ever met in the NBA. He has a, an innocent, aw shucks sort of demeanor and a genuine desire, I believe, to get along with everyone. His relationship building within the organization, the Warriors organization, serving as both a liaison and buffer between the coaches, players, and ownership was a vital part of the team's five consecutive finals appearances and four titles. Don't get me wrong. I don't know how many people could have done what Bob Myers did in terms of keeping everybody on the same page and more than anything else, putting out fires. He, he was unique in that and deserves immense credit for the role that he played. But man... Was he shrewd by getting out when he did? Like, that was not a country bumpkin move by any stretch. That was not an aw shucks move. That was reading the room, reading the situation, and saying, yeah, I'm out. Maybe his most deft move in the slow but steady deterioration of the Warriors was salvaging Kevin Durant's desire to go to Brooklyn by extricating D'Angelo Russell from the Nets and making that happen, which then translated into acquiring Andrew Wiggins. There is no fourth title without those moves, and it took some ingenuity and foresight to make them happen. 
But Meyer's draft record is another story. It's a big reason why the Warriors are such a mixed bag right now with what appears to be a hamstrung future. It's not just that they had the number two pick in the 2020 draft and ultimately translated that into five second round picks to facilitate, essentially, retrieving Gary Payton II from the Portland Trailblazers. We'll get to that. Let's start with 2018 and their first round pick, Jacob Evans, who played a grand total of 59 games in the NBA. Now granted, Warriors during the stretch were always picking at the end of the first round. Jacob Evans was the 28th pick. But there are 13 players taken, taken later that are still in the league. And they include Jalen Brunson, Jared Vanderbilt, Bruce Brown, DeAnthony Melton, Javon Carter, Shake Milton, and Mitchell Robinson. Now, of all those names, none of them were coming into this draft as being guys that were thought of highly or thought that they should be first-round picks. They were like Jacob Evans. It was, let's take a shot. Let's try to find somebody who can play and can play in the league. That's essentially what you're doing at the end of the first round is you're hoping to get somebody who can contribute, who can be part of your team. In 2019, of course, they took Jordan Poole with the 30th pick. Now, the mistake wasn't in drafting him. After all, he played a big role in helping the Warriors win that fourth title. He's one of those late first-round picks who's still very much in the, in the league. It's a credible pick. The mistake was in ignoring the signs that Jordan thought he was much better than he is not moving him at the height of his value, but signing him to a mega contract that gave him the license to indulge his worst impulses. You can blame Draymond Green for swinging on Jordan all you want. The fact that Jordan thought he could call Draymond an expensive backpack for Stephen Curry and not get swung on after playing three years with Draymond makes Jordan at least partly culpable in my eyes, for what happened. You're going to tell a proud, volatile veteran who won three rings before you showed up, won Defensive Player of the Year, was selected all defense eight times and all NBA twice, led the team in assists a half dozen times. You're going to tell that guy, yeah, you're, you're just being carried by Curry. Not only was it stupid, it was just flat wrong. And... As much as anything else, Jordan didn't have the pedigree to look down on Draymond the way that he did. And yet, he did. But the 2020 decision, moving on, is the one that has as much to do with the Warriors being where they are as anything. Taking James Wiseman, who had all of three collegiate games under his belt and sat out the rest of his freshman year before the Warriors selected him, was as risky as they come. I don't know of too many draft selections that were made that high based on need rather than pure ability that have worked out. And make no mistake, that's why the Warriors took him. They took him even though his skill set did not fit their system. 
Their skill set for bigs, big men, relies on high IQ and passing. Now, hindsight is always easy. But just consider, again, some of the players taken later in that first round. Tyrese Halliburton, Tyrese Maxey, Desmond Bain, Emmanuel Quickly. Now, I'm not saying none of, none of these guys were being ranked as a top five pick going into the draft. I am not suggesting that they should have done that. That's unrealistic, and it's unfair for me to suggest that because I wasn't looking at any of those guys and saying, hey, you know what? Tyrese Halliburton's way better than he's being, uh, he's being put in mock drafts. He's, he's a lottery pick. He's a top five pick. I wasn't saying that about these guys. What I'm suggesting is that if you're not certain and you have the number two pick, then trade down for multiple picks, especially where you where the Warriors were in their evolution. You knew a rebuilding or a regeneration was coming. You had to know that. And surely they could have traded down for multiple picks, thereby increasing their chance of landing a player who could actually contribute. Instead, they had the number two pick and essentially wasted it. They got nothing out of it. Leandro Balmaro and Yudoka Azubuki are the only first-round picks in the 2020 draft who have played fewer games than Wiseman, and they were taken 23rd and 27th. And having been around Wiseman, having talked to him, having watched him go to the G League, he's not a bust because he didn't have a work ethic or he didn't try or he was a bad guy. He's a bust because he was, he, his skills and his ability were wildly overvalued because it was all on projection. You had nothing from college to be able to gauge him on. It was looking at his athleticism, his size, maybe his personality, uh, his level of intelligence, but you didn't have any, any concrete evidence that he could be the kind of big that would fit into the warrior system. And if he wasn't that, now you're talking about changing the warrior system while still basing it on the skills and the experience and the chemistry of your old guard. If you take a step back and you look at it, the, the approach, the philosophy, the strategy simply didn't make sense. You were trying to, to, serve, to serve two masters. The 2021 draft saw the Warriors take Jonathan Kaminga with the seventh pick and Moses Moody with the 14th. And this is where the taking of James Wiseman with the number two pick in 2020 was compounded because they had two shots at taking Alperin Sengun, who is everything the Warriors look for in a big. And whether they missed on him or it was, oh, we already took Wiseman. We already have, we're not going to take another big. They did not or were not in the position to take the guy that made the most sense for the way that they play. I mean, honestly, if I'm a Warriors fan, whew, imagining having Sengun to play with this, with, with Clay, Steph, and Dre, and how much he would compensate for them getting older and what they can't do. I mean, Sengun can be 
could be, as much as anything, he could be the next Draymond Green. He's the closest thing I can think of to being the next Draymond Green. Maybe even slightly better in terms of being able to score and make plays and and score on the post. Draymond Green doesn't really have a back-to-the-basket game on the block. Alpern does. Well, it's too early to grade the Warriors 2022 draft. But, well, maybe not. Because their first-round pick that year, Patrick Baldwin, is nowhere to be found. Well, it's technically, he's still in the league. He's logging seven minutes a game for the Washington Wizards. And again, late round pick, late first round pick, but the players taken three and four spots after him, Peyton Watson, Andrew Nemhart. And to be clear, this second guessing of draft picks, I don't like doing it because it's really easy. Uh, I believe that if you're going to do it, you should be first guessing. Just put it out there. Put it out there early that, hey, I don't think that the, this, this was the right choice. And I generally wait until summer league. I, I don't. I do mock drafts if I'm asked to, but for the most part, I let the draft happen, and then I see guys in summer league, and that gives me a real indication of whether teams got it right or what what chance there is of a guy making good on wherever he was drafted. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. And so that's, uh, that's that's late first guessing hasn't had when guys haven't actually played in an NBA game and you're projecting what they are. So I don't like critiquing picks uh, especially if it's only been a year or two. But and, and every GM has had their share of swings and misses. The best GMs in the league. Jerry West had plenty of swings and misses. But Myers has had a lot of them over the last few years. And it's a big reason, maybe the biggest reason, why the Warriors are where they are. So for any of you out there who are jumping on Steve Kerr or Clay Thompson or anybody on the current team, Draymond Green for the Jordan Poole thing. All right? Those are, those are all natural byproducts of the evolution of a team or the de-evolution of a team. All the missed picks, and I just cataloged all the missed picks over the last four or five years, and I really don't have any to give you to say this was a home run. I don't have any second-round picks that 
were a Draymond Green type of selection. So that's why the Warriors are where they are. And no, ESPN will never, ever bring that up with Bob Myers part of their team now. Then there's Joel Embiid's meniscus tear, which effectively eliminates any chance of him repeating his MVP and puts a major dent in the Sixers' run at a title, which I considered a better possibility this year than in any since Allen Iverson was making guys look silly with his crossover and the rest of the Sixers were covering his gambling ass on defense (laughs) and Larry Brown was coaching them to the finals against the Lakers. But to be surprised that Embiid got injured or to think it was the result of some malfeasance by the Sixers that he was already struggling physically and shouldn't have been playing Um, and that he might be best served by not playing again this year, as Kendrick Perkins has suggested, is to not acknowledge or know Embiid's history. The man came into the league with injuries, not playing a single game his first two years in the league. And that was presumably to allow him to get completely right while the 76ers stockpiled lottery picks. Separating how much he didn't play a single game with the process in terms of trying to be bad for as long as they could is difficult. But the fact is, they were comfortable with him not playing a single minute his first two years in the league, and the idea was he will come back better than ever. I mean, that's the only reason to do it, right? Other than you're picking up picks. But still, it's so unorthodox, you have to believe yeah, these are, and they were legitimate injuries. This wasn't, they weren't milking it. He had, I believe, broken bone in his foot. And for a big, you want to make sure that's right. But how well did all that rest and rehabilitation work? He then came and played 31 games his third year, first year actually playing in the league. He's never played more than 68 regular season games in any season. If anything, has not worked with Joel Embiid. It's rest and rehabilitation. And yet, Perk thinks that that's the answer to the issues now. The man has broken down physically every single year. And at this point, to suggest Nick Nurse and company did something egregious this year, you're just looking for a scapegoat to hide from reality, which is that Embiid is physically compromised. Now, a lot of those years, Embiid was not in peak condition. And from what I'm told, was not diligent about his rehab work. And you could see it. He routinely got tired. And when he got tired, he would lose his balance. You could see where, oof, he, that's an injury waiting to happen. I mentioned Wiseman earlier and how little he played in college. And he wound up playing 39 games as a rookie, and missing his entire second year. What is not factored into the load management equation or the rest and rehabilitation equation is that players don't learn how to adjust their games in order to still be effective playing with fatigue or nicks and dings, minor injuries. Teams rarely practice these days, and when they do, it's generally skill work and limited scrimmaging. And it used to be said, the only way to get into game shape 
is to play games. And that includes playing games in practice. And I believe that still holds true. But far too many players today are only used to playing when they're fresh. And there simply is no way to stay fresh through an entire NBA season. There's also no way to do individual work. I don't care how much conditioning and aerobic work you do. It's not the same as all of the movement that you have when you're scrimmaging, when you're actually playing the game. And when you think about guys having to play a certain number of games, there's no way to stay fresh through an entire NBA season, play the number of games that you have to play in order to develop the chemistry and understanding that is required of a team that is gunning for a title. If you're just trying to get through the season and trying to make the most of your star players, okay, fine. If you're trying to build a championship caliber team, you can't have guys resting. It doesn't, it doesn't work. There is a collective experience in playing the game and going through the battles on a night-in and night-out basis that pre- prepares a team collectively to chase the ring. And when it comes to not rehabbing injuries correctly, any weekend warrior knows what I'm talking about. And if you think the bodies of professional athletes are significantly different, I'm here to tell you that they're not. Not in the context of injuries that are not diligently rehabbed and protected in the future with special attention and care coming back to haunt them. Where professional athletes are different, and this is what is lost with load management and not playing physically compromised, is that professional athletes have the combination of incredible athleticism, mental tenacity, and superior skill which allows them to function even when they're not 100%, or at least the best players, the star players, the players that we consider franchise players. If they're a true franchise player, they know how to get that done. And obviously there are athletes with varying degrees of those various attributes. Kobe Bryant had an extraordinary reservoir in all three departments which is why he was able to play through sprained ankles and torn pinky ligaments and shooting shoulder uh, labrums that were torn and broken index fingers. But all his stubbornness, all that pain tolerance, none of that would have mattered if he didn't have incredible fundamentals, footwork, balance, and an understanding of how to manufacture points when physically he wasn't 100%. Most of us weekend warriors, we don't have the capability, (laughs) the skill level to still play and be effective if we're not at least 80%, I would say. Now, in some cases, the desire to land a contract or earn a spot on the team, which can be the difference in earning millions versus bagging groceries, that can be a huge motivating factor for players. You probably see it more often in, in football than any place else. See it in, in during the preseason in particular. Guys go out there and they're playing with injuries and generally then get hurt worse 
with that injury just because they're trying to do anything they can to make the team. But no matter how much money might be on the line, the average athlete simply doesn't have the requisite wiggle room or means of compensating to still compete when they're physically compromised. And then there are pro athletes that simply shouldn't be blamed for their bodies breaking down. For all the physical gifts they might have, they also might have some sort of genetic flaw that undercuts all of it. And just from appearances and from his history, Embiid, it would appear, has double trouble. He had a body that breaks down easily and a lax approach to conditioning, which is the only way to minimize those breakdowns. That's a vicious combination. As for the Lakers, their ticking time bomb is the deal that they made to land Anthony Davis. In case anyone has forgotten, they acquired him the summer before the 2019-20 season for Josh Hart, Brandon Ingram, Mo Wagner, DeAndre Hunter, Lonzo Ball, Isaac Bongo, Jamario Jones, three first-round picks, and a second-round pick. That depleted their resources considerably, obviously. And what was left, they spent before the 2020-21 season to get Russell Westbrook. In case anyone has forgotten, he cost them Kyle Kuzma, Montrez Harrell, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, and another first-round pick. And we should probably make that two first-round picks because it took another one to move him out a year and a half later. They had to give up a pick along with him in order to move him along. I know Lakers fans like to think that an endless crop of trade resources grow in the Hollywood Hills, but I'm here to tell you that the Lakers have no more trade resources, young assets, than any other team. And as of right now, they're pretty much out of them. Which is why the Warriors and the Lakers find themselves in the same boat. Both have a core of big-time stars who, if we're being honest, probably have names that are a little bit bigger than their games at this point. But considering their postseason experience, considering the parity overall in the league right now, there's a way to imagine that they could still be a force in the postseason if they had the right pieces around them. But both of their GMs were left with no choice but to try to find economic, useful pieces in the bargain bin. No other choice. And the hope that some pieces that they'd already paid or signed up were going to come through. And for the most part, that simply hasn't happened. But then again, you're talking about asking for pieces outside of Andrew Wiggins. You're asking for pieces that have never demonstrated that they can play at the level necessary to compensate for stars who are beginning to decline. So it shouldn't be a surprise in any way that the Lakers, the Warriors, and the 76ers find themselves exactly where they are. One last note on the Lakers situation. Since there's endless caterwauling about Tarian Prince getting more playing time than Rui Hachimura and questions about Darvin Ham's sanity and acumen because of it. Uh, at least that's, that's what I see 
uh, over and over again on my timeline. Maybe it's just my social media timeline, but nonetheless, I need to address it. The reason that Tarian Prince plays over Rui Hachimura is because Hachimura can't guard wings. If you want him to play more, Prince isn't the one who has to sit. LeBron James is. And for those who suggested that Jared Vanderbilt should be playing over Tarian Prince before Vanderbilt injured his foot, Vanderbilt can't space the floor. And for LeBron and AD to score, they need floor spacers. Whatever the percentages are, the fact is teams generally will not leave Tarian Prince alone. And they will with Jared Vanderbilt. If you want Rui to play more, then Prince isn't the one who has to sit. LeBron James is. And we all know that Darvin Ham doesn't have the authority to sit LeBron. Now, I don't have certifiable proof of this because I haven't been directly around the team. So this is only based on my powers of observation. But I would swear that there are times that LeBron checks himself into games. Now, maybe he and Darvin have it worked out that LeBron is going to go in at certain times. So when the clock hits that, LeBron gets up, walks down to the scorer's table. All I know is I have seen LeBron get up and head to the scorer's table without any sort of signal from Ham or any other assistant coach. Now, I'm not here to say that there's anything wrong with that, considering LeBron's status and power within the organization, but I'm certainly not going to act as if Darvin has a completely free hand to run the team as he sees fit so that everything that happens with it or doesn't happen with it is a result of decisions by Darvin. I'm not even sure Darvin is the one who's deciding that Tarian Prince is going to play as much as he did because we know how much Kurt Rambis, the shadow GM, has influence on how the team utilizes its players. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. As I wrap up, I just realized that in the previous episode, I promised to talk about the All-Star Game selection process and how it needs to be fixed, why it needs to be fixed. So there's still that to get to, which I will attempt to do before we have the actual All-Star game. I also want to address the controversy around the requirement for players to play a minimum of 65 games in order to be eligible for postseason awards. So I will get to that in a future episode as well. What the order of those will be is to be determined, but I will get to them. In the meantime, as always... Thanks for listening. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. 
Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.